0: We are beginning John chapter 9, and this chapter is about the healing of the blind man. John 9. It's a messianic miracle, but because it happens in Jerusalem, Jesus will get a very mixed response. Instead of everybody rejoicing that a man born blind now can see, some believed, some doubted, and some even became downright contentious. But that's the nature of the beast, and the Gospel of John doesn't do a whitewash. It tells things as it is, because John's Gospel is truth. It's part of God's Word, and God's Word shines light in darkness, and the darkness doesn't like it, doesn't comprehend it, doesn't know what to do about it. This particular lesson is called Healing at Siloam. It's a Pool, An ancient pool, which uh, you can see a little bit up even to this day, the terminus of Hezekiah's tunnel, and we'll learn more about that as we go along. But it was at this pool of Siloam that the blind man, having had a mud pack put on his eyes by Jesus, washed in that pool of Siloam, and he came back seeing. So let's look at the whole lesson here. Healing at Siloam is the name of the lesson. John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. And Jesus says to the blind man, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. And that's in verse 7. Which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. This is not just a wonderful miracle affecting one blind man. It is sending a message to the people of Jerusalem to the people of Israel in the first century, to the whole world in all centuries, even till now, the 21st century. This miracle is a messianic miracle because part of the mission of Messiah, who is the anointed one, the son of David, the soon coming king, also simultaneously the son of God, is that the Messiah opens the eyes of the blind. Messiah causes blind people to see but we'll also learn at the end of this chapter that he calls seeing eyes to be blind he wants us who see too much of the things of the world who are vulnerable to the seductions and lusts of the world who somehow might be hijacked by the passing fading glory of this world he wants us to be blind to all those things so that we're no longer focusing on the world, which is perishing, but on the kingdom of God, which lasts forever. So the blind will see, and the seeing people will turn out to be blind. That's ultimately what Jesus is after, and he says these very words at the end of this chapter of John 9. So our lesson is called Healing at Siloam, based on John 9, verses 1 to 12. It begins with Jesus passing by, He had just escaped nearly being murdered on the Temple Mount for saying that before Abraham was, I am. And then he and the disciples saw the blind man. They asked the question, who sinned, master? This man or his parents that he was born blind? Because somehow misfortune was linked to personal sin. But we're going to learn it's not always the case. But what we do know, when you bring Jesus into the picture, something that is unfortunate or tragic can be made victorious. The glory of God and redemption will be at work. Jesus goes on to say that he must work the works of him while it is day, because he is the light of the world. A statement he made earlier in the previous chapter, John 8. So Jesus makes the clay, puts it on the blind man's eyes, tells him to go to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, and he went and washed, and he came back seeing. When this happens, the neighbors are astounded and wonder, is this a twin, this guy that we remember him, not just born blind, but he's a beggar, now he can see? And so they are so perplexed by it all, They causes them to have an investigation. Now I want to read the entire portion of John 9, verses 1 to 12. Our lesson is called Healing at Siloam. And the reference again is John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. Let's listen carefully, because this is God's word. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh, when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him, but he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam, and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, where is he? He said, I know not. Our reading is from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 12. And our lesson is called Healing at Siloam. Well, let's take a look at this amazing yet controversial messianic miracle. It begins with verse 1 of John 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. Remember, Jesus had just finished a contentious dialogue on the Temple Mount. He accused his listeners of trying to kill him, and this was borne out by the fact that they could not handle his words of life. They even picked up stones to murder him. Yet, as often was the case, he passed through the midst of them and made his way out. Now, Jesus was passing by and noticed a man who was blind from his birth. Now, while the man had known nothing but blindness and darkness all his life, this was his Kairos moment. Kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. Kairos moment, his God-given opportunity to have his life turned around. Jesus, the light of the world, was passing by his way. But it led to a question. The disciples asked this probing inquiry. Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, it was a common perception in the ancient world especially that misfortune was the result of personal sin. Jesus is about to correct that perception. However, it is because of general sin that misfortune happens though not necessarily because of one's personal sin. You see, God's work, John 9, verse 3, Jesus said that neither this man nor his parents' sin was the cause of his blindness. Jesus isn't saying they didn't sin. He's saying that their sin was not the reason for the blindness. This man's misfortune was caused by simply being born into a fallen world sin and death and the devil do reign. However, the good news is, God is near. Indeed, he is passing by. This handicap or physical challenge can be used for the glory of God. And then Jesus goes on to make the further statement, I must do the works of God while it is yet day. After all, God sent me. And I'm not here on holiday, I'm here to work. Because the night is coming when work is impossible. So the time to reach out in healing is now. Very wonderful statement. We must do the works of Him that sent us while it is day. There's not only the right thing to do, friends, there's the right timing. Please understand that timing is important, location is important, the actual vision or task at hand is important let's get all those things lining up together for maximum output and blessing if we miss any one of those factors like right place wrong time or right place right time but wrong activity then it's not going to be the way god wants it jesus goes on to tell us in john 9 and verse 5 while i am in the world i am the light of the world Remember he said that in the previous chapter, John 8, verse 12. He said that not only is he the light of the world, but whoever follows him will not be in darkness, but shall have the light of life. This is a stupendous statement. Furthermore, it's a very true statement. People who follow Jesus are not in darkness. But please note, it's not just they merely believe in Jesus. They're not just passive, exercising mental assent, These are followers of Jesus, and I dare say fervent followers of Jesus. Such people cannot be in darkness. But if we are not following Jesus, if we're a casual inquirer rather than a diligent seeker, if we only believe in our head and not in our heart, we will not enjoy the light of the world, or at least not to the extent that true followers will. Now, because Jesus is the light of the world and he's working while it is day. Could it be that the mantle of being the light of the world will be passed on to his followers after he ascends to heaven? Remember, he does call us, in Matthew 5, verse 14, the light of the world. As God's lamps in this world, we must not go into hiding, but rather be in a place where our light can shine. So Jesus is actually going to... Pass on the mantle of light like one candle lighting a whole series of candles and yet still staying lit itself. That's what the Lord does. So in verse 6 of John 9, in order that this man may be healed of his blindness, who and by the way, the man didn't request healing, Jesus makes clay from his own spittle mixed from the ground. He then anoints the man's eyes with the clay. And then comes a command. Up to this point, the man has done nothing, requested nothing, and fulfilled no activity. But obedience is required. John 9, verse 7. The man was commanded to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. This pool is at the end of what we call Hezekiah's tunnel. Hezekiah is a half a kilometer S-shaped or serpentine tunnel Built in the year 701 BC, it channeled the natural waters of the Gihon Springs, which are outside the walls of Jerusalem, to the east, at the bottom of the Kidron Valley, and took those waters and put them in the Pool of Siloam, which was inside. This was to protect Jerusalem's water supplies during times of siege. Now, this blind man had a chance to see, but in order to see, he had to obey Jesus's command. He did. He went and washed, and his sight was restored, as it should be. By the way, just as an aside, it is still possible to visit Hezekiah's tunnel. And I have to say, it takes about 20, 25 minutes. It's very narrow. The water can come up to your ankle and occasionally higher. You have to use a torch, a flashlight, in order to get through. And for reasons I cannot explain, people come out of that tunnel rejoicing as if they had some great religious experience. I still think of one pilgrim who is very, how should I say, well coiffed and immaculately dressed and was wearing a skirt down to her ankle. And at the last moment, she decided she would go into the tunnel And she went into the tunnel, and after 25 minutes, she emerged, totally dry, not one strand of hair, out of place. And she said, that was one of the most meaningful experiences of my life. As I said, it's just a little aside. Hezekiah's tunnel. What happened? The neighbors were astonished. John 9, verse 8. This unnamed, formerly blind man, somebody who was begging for money now could see people didn't even recognize him or they kind of recognized him but they were absolutely flabbergasted is this the same man the one who would sit around begging what happened to him how did this transformation occur and so good question some even thought in John 9 verse 9 that it was his twin Some said it was the same man. Some said it was a man that looked just like him. Finally, the man said himself, I'm the one. I am the blind man. What is remarkable is that there was a mixed response to this healing. You would think everybody would believe after what they have just seen, but not so. When you are full of pride, when you are blind, when you are dead in sins and trespasses, even the dead could rise under your nose. And you won't receive it, you won't acknowledge it, nothing will change, except for the worse. After all, if Jesus is so powerful as to heal the blind people, he could get a great following. And therefore, if Jesus gets a great following, he might risk, or it might put at risk, the authority of the religious elite in Jerusalem. Jesus, in essence, would be offering a rival ministry, a rival court, a rival center of authority. And they couldn't have that. So, of course, the miracle of the blind man isn't going to make Jesus' followers even more receptive to him, but make Jesus' enemies more hardened against him. And this will be particularly borne out when we get to chapter 11 of John's Gospel and the healing of Lazarus. Now, if anything should be a messianic miracle, and somebody rise from the dead, it should be the miracle of Lazarus healing at Bethany. But even there, many believed, but not all. And the religious elite were so concerned. I mean, they couldn't care less that Lazarus rose from the dead. They just were worrying about their power base. And not only, again, did they confirm that Jesus must die, they even voted that Lazarus must die, Because of him, many people were coming to Jesus. That's why hardened hearts and blindness to the things of God have got to be the eighth wonder of the world. It's just astounding, but it's a fact. And the Bible is telling us truth, which has been borne out again and again and again. So our lesson is called Healing at Siloam. And our lesson for life is this. Jesus, the light of the world, helps those who darkness has come so that they can go into God's light.